Hey Life Kitten, Roger here. I'm your pastor is so glad that you are joining us, whether you're a first-time listener to our podcast or somebody who listens all the time. Welcome. I want to remind you of two important things. One, you belong. And we want you to get plugged into this community, not just be someone who uh, is here, but someone who participates in everything that's going on. So be sure to fill out a connect card. That is going to be the best way for us to help you do that. You can find that on the Life uh, Canton website or on the Church Center app. Also, I want to remind you that this is an opportunity to support what God is doing at this church. You're about to hear our message from our annual celebration, where we celebrated all the things that God has done in this past year and look forward to all the things he's going to do this year. So this is an opportunity for you to support what God is doing. And there's lots of ways to do that, but one of those ways is financially. So be sure to head on over to the Life Game app again, uh, or the Church Center, and use this opportunity to support what God is doing. Um, like I said, you're about to hear the annual celebration message from Pastor Jared. He's going to talk about the importance of celebration. So give that a listen, and I'll catch up with you in just a moment. You may be seated. Welcome. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Jared, and I am one of the pastors here, and I pray that we will have the strength for that song to actually be a reality in our lives. Uh, this, this sermon has actually already been preached throughout this morning already, uh, but I, I want to be part of it too, so I'm just going to speak still. I hope that's okay. Um, and so I'm going to be here for a, a little bit, and we're going to walk through the scriptures just a little bit and talk through how this can become a reality, how this can be possible. But first of all, I want to welcome anybody who's new here. Maybe this is your first time. I want to say welcome to you. We're glad that you're here. We want you to feel a sense of belonging, experience belonging. And so the best way to do that is by filling out a connect card. There's going to be a QR code. You can take out your phone right now if you want to and fill that out. And, uh, and we'd love to have you be part of our community if you are looking for a community. If you have any questions about that, you can visit us out in the lobby as well. Uh, and anybody watching online, you can do the same. Just reach out to us during the chat and, uh, and we'll be happy to connect with you. Um, I am grateful to be with you also because I have a renewed energy. I just got back from Chicago this last week. I was there for our ECC. That's our denomination. The Evangelical Covenant Church uh, puts on a midwinter conference every year this time. And it was awesome. It was fantastic. There were lots of great speakers. And yeah, we can clap for that. And, and here's, why, here's why we can clap and why I want you to clap is because we are part of a bigger body. There is a whole group of people out there that actually knows about us and has known about us for quite some time and has been praying for us. And so you are not alone, church. There are people all throughout our nation. And even I met somebody from Sudan. I met somebody from Canada, uh, which I guess is not that far. That's like, that's just over the way. Anyway, people are praying for this church. And it's exciting to meet these people face to face and to see that we are part of something so much bigger than what is happening right here in this room. So we clap for that. And, and we are celebrating. Uh, we are going to look back at, um, at 2023, but I just want to say this too. I recognize, every once in a while I'll say this, because I think it's important to acknowledge what's happening in the room and maybe even online, is that there are people who have difficulties stepping into a church. Um, and, and it's hard. And maybe because of the pandemic or maybe because of uh, political differences or maybe even religious ideas about what the church is all supposed to be about, and so there can be a hesitation in step, physically stepping into a church, let alone watching something online. And I want to say 
I thank you for your courage, for those of you who continue to do that consistently, where it maybe feels hard, or for those of you who are doing that maybe for the first time in a long time. It is a brave step uh, to take to go into a church and to figure out, what do I do here? Who should I talk to? What do I do with my hands? Like, I'm not sure how to be. And so I'm grateful that you are here. And I hope that as we even talk about something like celebration, that you have a renewed sense of what God is doing in our midst. Let's talk about celebration. It's already kind of been mentioned in uh, the worship and, and what John had to say at the beginning. It is sometimes hard to talk about celebration. For me, it's hard to talk about celebration because that's not my default mode. I- I'm a happy person, generally speaking, but like I don't tend to like stop and acknowledge good things that are happening. I just kind of charge on forward and just keep on moving. It's not my, not my default mode to stop and to say, oh yeah, this is good. We should celebrate it, right? And sometimes celebration can feel a little insensitive or tone deaf at certain times. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like cer- certain times where it feels like, ah, I don't know if we're ready to celebrate yet. I don't know if we've like, hit a point where we can stop and be like, yeah, this is good. Like maybe some things are hard. And so it feels tone deaf or insensitive to celebrate when stuff is still hard. Let me ask you this. I I think everybody in this room, everybody watching online is in one of three camps, right? Either you have just gone through something or you're going through something or you're about to go through something. How many of you know what I'm talking about? All right, here's the thing. I didn't need to stop and have a come to Jesus moment, okay? Because we've been talking about this like talk back kind of environment that we need to cultivate here in this church, all right? Uh, John mentioned this a couple weeks ago that we have our sisters and brothers who are not white and who are formed by communities where there's lots of vocalizing and lots of talk back in the community, right? We need to cultivate that. And here's why. I just spent time in our denomination, which is beautifully rich and diverse, And you've got all kinds of expressions of worship and expressions during the sermon. Here's the thing. This cannot be a one-way monologue where I'm talking at you, okay? We need some talk back. We need some verbalization, some vocalization. And here's why. It's not for my validation. I don't need you all to talk back to me so that I feel better about myself or that I feel better that my sermon is going okay or not. That's not why I do this. I'm an introvert. I can go out in the forest and be completely silent and I'm good. I've got what I need, okay? I don't need your vocalization for my needs, for my security. What I believe is that these other congregations that have been formed by a talkative sermon time is because what is happening is something is being said, whether by the person on stage or what the spirit is doing within them that transforms their heart and mind where they can't help but vocalize that and talk back to themselves. So in a way, church, you need to preach back to yourself. You need to let yourself know that God is moving, even though it doesn't feel like it. Amen? Okay, that's better, all right? We're gonna get it better as we go throughout the message. Here's the thing. How do we celebrate? How do we celebrate when we've just come through something, when we're going through something, or when we're pretty sure we're about to go through something once again? You know what I'm talking about. We're gonna look at a story in the book of Exodus. We don't often go to the Old Testament because we've been trying to spend a lot of time in the New Testament talking about Jesus. We need to be formed by Jesus. We need to become more and more like Jesus. And sometimes spending time in the Old Testament makes us feel like that's disconnected from Jesus. It's not, it's not, but we have needed to work on that 
to form us into the person and the likeness and the character of Jesus, as well as what that means for the church. So we have been spending a lot of time in the New Testament. Today, I want to go to the Old Testament. I want to go to the book of Exodus. And you're going to see some different things, uh, especially if you're newer to the church. You're going to see what feels like God is different. And it feels like the people are different. There's more violence. There's lots of militaristic and warring kinds of language. And that can be confusing. And so we'll talk about that in other spaces. But today, I want you to recognize that I recognize that as we look at this story. The book of Exodus is all about what it sounds like, an exit. The people of God get to exit what? They get to exit the land that they've been in for 400 years of slavery. 400 years of dehumanization, oppression, discrimination, fear, violence. It's horrible. Talk about a group of people who is going through something and they are consistently going to go through something until an exit, until something is about to change. They're about to be able to say, we've just gone through something. But we're going to look at that part of the story. Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 31. Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, sent for Moses and Aaron, the guys that are going to be in charge of facilitating this exit. Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron during the night. Get out, he ordered. Leave my people and take the rest of the Israelites with you. Go and worship the Lord as you have requested. It's finally, after 400 years, of only knowing oppression, only knowing violence, only knowing heartache, they get to go. There is a promise of something good that is about to happen, and it's come from the Lord through Moses and Aaron, and they're going to be part of this process. So we get a promise to start out. Let's look at the next section of what happens. I'm going to be skipping ahead in the story because it's a long story. Verse 37, it says, that night, the people of Israel left They left Ramses and started for Sukkot or Sukkoth. And there were about 600,000 men. That's just the men plus all the women and children. See, in that culture, uh, women and children weren't considered fully human. And so they didn't necessarily count their numbers. We believe different about that today. Women, we need you. We love you. You are an active participant in our church. We need you. Okay. So there were about, yeah. All right. Where are my ladies at? Anyway. There were about 600,000 men plus all the women and children. So that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. I don't know what the population of Detroit is, but that's like, is it bigger than that? I don't know if it is, but that's a lot of people. And so there's there's a promise that has come uh, to take place. And now, and now they get to perform that promise. They get to be performing on this promise that they've received. And it's Like, okay, is this for real? Like 400 years of oppression and slavery, like we actually get to step out in this. We get to perform or act upon this promise that's been sent to us. And so they do, they leave. And then this is what happened. On this night, the Lord kept his promise to bring his people out of the land of Egypt. So this night belongs to him. And it must be commemorated every year by all the Israelites from generation to generation. There's a commemoration happening. There's a celebration. There's a, okay, let's, let's stop. We need to acknowledge that this moment in time, this night, it belongs not to us, but it belongs to the Lord because he's the one that gave the promise. He's the one that kept his promise. He's the one that fulfilled his promise. We just got to perform it. We just got to act it out. And now we're going to praise him as a result of that. We're going to commemorate this moment to celebrate 
what God has done and is doing. So I want to show you just kind of a summary of how this process works. David sang the song, the, the mountains, the highlands, right? So there's a there's an upward uh, trajectory here. There's a, there's a crescendo that's happening in their lives. There's a promise that's been made. They get to perform that promise or act upon it. And then there's praise and commemoration and celebration that happens. This is when they have come through something and it's time to celebrate. It's time to celebrate. Obvious. We, we want to celebrate. I don't know about John, uh, like already celebrating the Lions going to the Super Bowl. Like that's a little like, no, 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 no. No, you know, you don't get to be more loud during that point than when I talk about God fulfilling his promise, okay? That's not how this works. I know I'm not a Lions fan, okay? But I am a football fan and I understand the emotion that's attached to that. But if we are more excited about a football game that may or may not end in a particular kind of way where our emotions get all over the place, like I just want us to acknowledge that, okay? All right, so... This is the trajectory of where they're going. It seems obvious that we would praise, right? It seems obvious that we would celebrate. Now, the story doesn't stop there. Let's check out what happens in the rest of that next section. This is now in chapter 14. When word reached the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials, what's that say? Change their minds. What? Change happens? No, I thought once we praise God and we commemorate the thing that has happened, everything else is steady from there on out. It's not supposed to be change. Change is not okay. Okay, here we go. The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces in Pharaoh's army, all his horses and chariots and charioteers and his troops. So there's this threat now to their, to their promise, but now the, the threat has become real. It's, it's, it's truth in action of this threat. And then we get to go to the next section, uh, verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and they panicked. They're terrified when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? It continues on in reading this section. Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. Talk about Debbie Downer. My gosh, like this is where the character Eeyore got created, right? Let us be a corpse, right? Let us die here. Hold on a second. Hold on, I thought, I thought we had just seen the promise of God. We got to perform that promise and then we praised God. And then all of a sudden, there's something new that happens. Let's show the, the different trajectory, the decrescendo. We've got the promise, performance, and the praise. Well, well, now there's a threat. There's a change. Oh, wait, I, I didn't think I was supposed to experience change. That's not, a, that's, not, that's not allowed. I thought, God never changes. Why is there change happening in my life now? And not only is that, threat perceived, now it's become real. The, the, the truth of that threat has become real. And now they're, they're right here. They're, they're chasing after us. I can see them. I can see the threat coming into my life. And so now we immediately go into panic and terror. What are we going to do? Ah, complain, panic. And then we blame, right? Why did you take us here? Uh, early, earlier, Moses and Aaron were like the heroes of the day. Now they're about to be killed by the people. So this kind of seems a little bit normal, right? Like this maybe seems a little bit more like what our lives look like. 
when we are experiencing the good promises of God and yet changes come our way. And all of a sudden we're panicking. We're terror. We're terrified. But once again, the story takes another turn. It's not over. Let's read on. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. Okay, so yes, there were threats and that threat became a truth. And and then there's terror, but now God introduces a new promise. Let's read on. It says, then the waters returned and covered all the chariots and charioteers, the entire army of Pharaoh. Of all the Egyptians who had chased the Israelites into the sea, not a single one survived. Now that threat has been squelched and there's a, a, a new truth in a sense that the performance of that promise is becoming real once again. And then it says, when the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptian, once again, they were filled with awe before him and they put their faith in the Lord and his servant Moses. Okay, now, now we're back to where we started. We have this renewed confidence in God. In fact, we're going to write a song about it. This time it's, it's even better. So let's write a song. And Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gli- gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. So here we are. Once again, back to that same arrow. We've got a new promise, a new performance of that promise. And now a new sense of praise, a renewed confidence in God to the point now, now we can sing about it. Now it actually is warranting a song. This is good. Okay, all right. Now we're good. Now now we're on this level where it's all supposed to be good, right? One month after leaving the land of Egypt, there too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. And we're back down the mountain once again, right? Back down to terror, to complaining, to panic. I, I know none of you experience life like this in your faith in God. I think the moment you were baptized, the moment you said a prayer and prayed and asked Jesus to come in your life, it has been all good all the time. I know that's for you, but just in case anybody watches this online, let's just talk about the reality of this situation that it actually looks a little bit more like this, right? Doesn't it? How many of you can testify to this? Yay, God is good. God sucks. Yay, God is good. God sucks. Like that's, that's our life. Where are you, God? Oh, you're here. Okay, good, good, good. Where are you, God? Oh, wait, what? Like this, this is chaotic. This is what life looks like. We, we've just gone through something, but now we're in something. And yeah, it looks like we're about to go through something once again. Like this is the trajectory of our lives. And the moment we come back down into these areas, we are surprised, we are bitter, we complain, and we want to leave the church, we want to leave God, we want to leave our faith, we just want to give up altogether. And it's why those of us who have just been through something, who are going through something, and we're pretty sure we're about to go through something, we're not entirely sure what that's going to look like yet, It is virtually impossible to answer the question, how do you celebrate? 
when that's what life looks like? How do you celebrate? How do you say God is good? And all the time, except in these moments. then Then he's not. Then he's not. How do you celebrate when that looks like what life is like? And then for some of you, it's maybe kind of like it barely even gets like this high. It just kind of stays down here in these regions where life is just filled with more, way more valleys than it is mountaintops. How do you celebrate? This is a chaotic roller coaster ride of a life. And probably all of us can find ourselves somewhere along this trajectory. And it's difficult to know how to have confidence in God in the midst of it. And we're, um, we're an emotional people, right? We are easily swindled and shooken by a lot of different things. I mean, just think about, and I know this is sort of juvenile, but like, think about how easily uh, emotionally moved we are by a football game. Honestly, like our emotion, some of our emotions will change dramatically based on the outcome of what happens tonight. I'm just going to go to bed early. So I don't even have to know. That's, that's how I deal with it. I just avoid, just walk away, just avoid. But then more serious things. I don't know if you knew this or not, but we have an election coming up this year. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> I appreciate your optimism. Cause I don't, I don't know what that's going to look like in our country. I don't know what that's going to look like in this community and our emotions and our very identity will rise and fall on whoever shows up in office. Think about that. How are you preparing emotionally, spiritually, mentally for that moment, regardless of what the outcome is? And can you still say God is good all the time, all the time, God is good? I hope so. I hope so. And I want to be able to say that too. I want us as a community to be able to say that. So here's the thing. We need to renew our understanding about what celebration looks like. Celebration cannot just be contingent upon these moments up here. It cannot just be predicated on our premeditated outcomes of what we think the outcome should look like. And so then I'll praise you, God, as long as it looks like what I've already planned out in advance for it to look like. Can't be that. Celebration has to be so much different, so much better. How, how do you celebrate when it looks like this? What do you do in the midst of that? And the, the joke of it, it seems like a joke, but the answer to the antidote of this chaos actually is celebration. To celebrate even more to be formed by a life of celebration. Celebration has to be understood as an expression of joyous gratitude. Not happy, but joyous. For the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. That's different than happiness. Joy is eternal. Joy is sustainable. And we express an eternal, joyful gratitude in the midst of the highs and the lows. Gratitude is so crucial to the Christian life. If you don't have any sense of gratitude, then you might not know Jesus. And I don't mean that as a shaming mentality. I, I mean that 
in the most loving, compassionate way that I can say that, you, you might not know the Jesus of the scriptures if your life is not formed by a sense of gratitude. Gratitude is essential to the Christian life. As an individual, but also as a community, it's crucial for a community to communally be gracious, to be grateful within this body. I, um, I'm taking a class as I finish up my ordination process within our denomination. And uh, one of the books that we have to read is about living into community. And there was this section that talked about the importance of gratitude, but also the opposite of gratitude, which is ingratitude. It says this, gratitude is vital to sustaining communities that are holy and good. Part of the recent emphasis on gratitude or giving thanks is surely a response to the epidemic of complaint, envy, presumption, and dissatisfaction that undermines human relationships and plagues many communities. These forms of ingratitude are deadly. They kill community by chipping away at it until participants long to be just about anywhere else but here in the community. While gratitude gives life, communities. Ingratitude that has become established sucks out everything good until life itself shrivels and discouragement and discontent take over. A gratitude that is formed by joyous celebration in a community is crucial to exist because without it, In the absence of gratitude, in the highs and the lows, that community becomes obsolete. It is eroded away. If we cannot, as as a church, find a single thing to be grateful for, to celebrate, we as a community will become non-existent. That's how important this is. That's how important it is to even in the trajectory of the, the roller coaster ride of chaos in our lives as an individual as well as a church, we have to find sustaining celebration, sustaining joyful gratitude in order to survive as well as to, th- to thrive. Not just individually, but as a community as well. As a community, this is important. I think about it like this. If I am not healthily formed by a life of gratitude, but I am part of a bigger community, then there's issues with that. Because what's going to happen is I'm going to look at people in my community and they may have individual successes or wins or blessings that come their way. But because my heart isn't formed by a life and a pattern and a rhythm of gratitude, I'm actually going to look at your wins, your blessings, your successes as the opposite of celebration. I'm going to look at your situation and I'm going to be like, well, God is acting in their life, but he's not acting in my life in the same way. So not only am I not going to celebrate your wins, successes, and blessings, I'm actually going to be jealous and resentful of your wins and blessings and successes. And that is the kind of thing that erodes a community and relationships as well. It's not just a lack of gratitude that erodes the community, but when there is a lack of gratitude over a period of time, then jealousy and envy and presumption and dissatisfaction 
and resentment settles in. I think about multiple times where my friends and loved ones in my life have have experienced good things in their lives and I can't celebrate with them because my heart is so hardened by the things that I didn't receive. Why didn't I get to do that? Why didn't I get to experience that? And so I think about the idea of having gone through something, being in something, and then possibly having to go through something. I have to deal with the bitterness in my own heart. God, what are you up to? What are you teaching me? What do I need to learn about myself? And this gratitude cannot be contingent on me as an individual, as well as my own premeditated outcomes. Here's how Paul talks about it in the New Testament. Paul is like the expert of celebration, the expert of rejoicing. He says this in the, uh, the letter to, his, to the church in Thessalonica, who are experiencing intense persecution. And some scholars believe that a primary reason for that persecution was discrimination that was happening within that area. Lots of ethnic and religious differences. And so as a result of that, there was intense violence, intense persecution. And Paul says to that community, always be joyful. Always. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Jesus, who belong to Christ Jesus. It's easy, it's easy to praise God, to celebrate in the big, big things. Sometimes we can celebrate in the small things, but Paul says, take it a step further, celebrate in all things, in all circumstances, even suffering, even persecution, even the most horrible diagnosis. All things. Well, Paul, doesn't that seem tone deaf? Doesn't that seem insensitive to say that? No, he's, he's speaking to a community who is going through intense suffering. But not because he doesn't also experience that himself. He knows what it's like to experience this. All throughout the New Testament, we see a series of suffering, a series of persecution. And Paul, the expert in rejoicing, says this from a jail cell in, in his letter to the church in Philippi. He says this going on to the Philippian verse in chapter four. It says this, that always, there's that word again, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Remember, he's in a jail cell. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything like the Israelites did, where they worried, they complained about every little thing. Don't worry. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. All? All he has done? Man, I don't know. That seems tone deaf, Paul. That seems insensitive. Like, do you, do you know what's going on out here? <laughs> do you know what's happening in 2024? Do you know what election is coming up, Paul? Do you understand what's happening? Do you understand what's on the line? Do you know what my family is going through? Do you know what my bank account looks like, Paul? I don't think you understand what's going on. There's all of these things. There's all of these circumstances. 
that are making it feel like I'm about to go through something more or I'm going through something right now. I think Paul would say, that's the wrong question. I'm not concerned about the outcomes. I'm not concerned about the circumstances. You're addressing the wrong question. That's not it. See, because earlier Paul says this in Philippians chapter three, he says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want those mountaintop experiences, but I also want to suffer with him. I, I, I want to, I want to suffer with him sharing in his death. So that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. If that means it takes me to the grave, if that means it takes me to the cross, I don't care what it is. I just want to be like Jesus. I want to do everything like Jesus. In fact, I even want to suffer like Jesus because however it is with Jesus, that's what I want to experience too because that's where the joy comes in in the resurrection of the dead. One day, we will resurrect. We will rise again. It doesn't matter what the outcomes of our circumstances are. It doesn't matter what it is that we are going through. It does, it does matter. We feel that pain, but it's not the end of our story. And so if it's not the end of our story, we begin with the end in mind. The end is a celebration. The end is a feast. The end is a marriage ceremony. It's a wedding. It's a banquet hall. It's all of these good things that are celebratory, that are a party. If that's the end, then we actually form ourselves here and now with gratitude, with celebration, with joy in all circumstances. I struggled to write this message. Because my default mode is not to stop and celebrate. And I don't know if you are thinking of this idea of it's tone deaf to celebrate when we feel like, well, we're not quite there yet. Like we need to, we need to wait until we can have some good things until we can really know that we have a whole lot of wins to celebrate. Otherwise celebration feels awkward. That that's me. That's why I'm I had difficulty writing this message because I don't want to celebrate until it's all solved, until it's all good. And so God had to work on my heart in this message. If anything, I wanted John to preach this message because he's better at celebrating than I am. But I think if anything, God needed to work in my heart. Because the reality is, and it's already been said, 2023 was not an easy year for us as a church. There was a whole lot that went on. There was transition, there was change, and we don't like change. We're not accustomed to it. Even though literally our life is full of change, we still think that we can somehow avoid it. Or that it shouldn't come, that at some point, at some point, right, the dust will settle, and at some point there will be stability and we'll all live happily ever after. We've been more formed by the endings of Disney princess movies than we have been by the scriptures. And they all lived happily ever after, right? And so we expect that to be the outcomes of our lives as well. We've been through some things as a church. A lot of loss, a lot of grief, a lot of transition. And so it would be easy for us to be bitter. 
Why'd you take us through that, God? We didn't deserve that. What are you trying to do? That wasn't fair. I don't deserve that. I've been doing everything right. I've been following you. I've been reading my Bible. I've been praying all the right prayers. I don't deserve that, God. Church, we're still going through some things. We're still going through transition. In fact, I I read two books just about transition last fall and listened to like several podcasts just to learn about transition. I thought we were going to be done with transition uh, like 11 months ago. Yeah, laughter is the appropriate response to that one, right? We're still going through things. And guess what? We're going to go through some more things. There's an election year coming upon us. And whoever your candidate is that does or does not get in office will not change the fact that God is still faithful and that he is still on the throne, okay? So do not put your hope in a candidate. Please don't. I am nervous. If I'm being completely frank, I'm nervous for the kinds of conversations that may or may not happen within our community as well as online. And I'm trying to pray and ask God, how do we stay unified? How do we stay loving to one another in the midst of what could potentially be yet another volatile election year? We're still learning how to be a multi-ethnic community. And there's beauty in that. There's richness in it, but sometimes it can feel clunky. And sometimes it can be like, uh, do, I, do I say that? Do I not? Do we do this program? Like, what should worship look like? And how, how should, who should be on stage? And all of these things. Like, it's clunky and it's messy. But it, it's what I want to go after because you cannot deny that the New Testament is one big giant story of this new multi-ethnic community that is learning how to relate to one another and love one another. But we're committed to it. Committed to it. There is much to celebrate, regardless if we've just gone through something, if we're going through something, or we're still about to go through something. I want to list out some of those things. In one slide, there's going to be some bullet points of things that I'm going to mention, and some of them have numbers attached to them. But I want to say this clearly. We are not a Fortune 500 company. We are not a a corporation that defines successes by certain quantifiable metrics all of the time. Uh, That's really easy to do. It's easy to look at our culture and to say, oh, well, this is how businesses thrive. So therefore, this is how churches should thrive. And so we should consider all of these different numbers and metrics. and, And if we go bigger, faster, and more, then that is automatically equated to success. That is a lie. That is not how the kingdom of God works. Jesus talks about a mustard seed. He talks about yeast that permeates through the dough. Oftentimes God moves in the small, in the quiet, in the still. And so please do not believe the myth, the lie that more, bigger, and faster automatically means success. It just doesn't. We continue to look to God and to his spirit and to the smallness of his voice at times. But we will still celebrate. And there are still some things that you're going to see. I want to just go through these quickly so that we can continue to worship. Last year, we had uh, uh, several students go to camp for the first time and had, my son was one of those kids and had an experience 
uh, where they were drawn closer to God and closer in their community. I'm so grateful for our students that are growing in the Lord, but also we had an art show. I don't know if you knew that or not, but we had over 100 people show up for our first ever student art show. Middle school, high school, and elementary kids all did art. If you haven't been upstairs yet to see the artwork that's still on the walls, they expressed one of the co- uh, two of the codes, actually, you belong or encounter Jesus. And now they get to go upstairs and they get to see their own art and to see their visual expression of their faith and then be able to show their friends and their family as well. It's a really cool, unique thing that we got to be able to be a part of. It's not all that quantifiable, but it's building into the expressive uh, nature of our next generation. The other thing, we had 13 baptisms last year. That's exciting. Yeah, that's very exciting. And we've already had 10 this year, so we're just getting started, but that's building into our new life culture. The next thing is we had over 100 people join Be the Spark. That happened in the fall, and that is building into our serving culture here. We need to be a serving church to look more and more like Jesus. We have 109 people that gave a a financial gift for the very first time, all just in 2023. That's a big deal. I, I mentioned earlier, yeah, we can clap for that too. Uh, sometimes it's hard to step into a church. It's even harder to give, to give money to a church, especially when there's a growing distrust in the church and distrust in institutions. So to have 109 people who decided for the first time, I'm just going to give something and every penny, every penny matters and counts. This is a big deal. Uh, so we're becoming a generous culture. We have, uh, we have been averaging about 250 plus in our weekend attendance. I'm, I'm grateful for that. There is a consistency growing in our worship culture, the importance of gathering together. And I know we had to heal a lot through COVID and through, you know, being watching online. And and now I feel like we're getting to a place that's a little bit more sustainable. So I'm grateful for that. Uh, I like to celebrate the small things like a roof and an HVAC system, right? Like I might, I was cheering louder for that than you're all going to cheer for the lions tonight. Like that, like, I'm super excited that you don't have drops of water dropping on your head right now while we're in here. And, and what that says is that we are creating a culture of stewardship, that we want to invest in the things that God has put in our midst and, and treat them well. And, and um, yeah, there's more I could say about that. I want to keep on moving. We have 105 partners uh, that are part of this church. So, so uh, we have people who are committed to living into these six codes in very specific ways. Uh, but they also participate in some of the business of the church, some of the voting that takes place. But there is a culture of commitment that is growing within our partners, and I'm grateful for that. Um, I want to talk about 202 people being part of the life journey, the several courses that we have, Explore, Encounter, Advance. Well, now we added a new one called Reclaim. Uh, and then we have uh, Multiply, which isn't a course, but it's more of a, a, a group of people that have been through all of them, including Transform, which I didn't mention. This is creating a discipleship culture. And there's a, there's a story that comes out of this from Monica and Robin, who, uh, yeah, we're, this is on our social media as well. But what was happening was Robin was meeting with Monica and, and they had been through parts of the life journey. But over time, what they realized is, oh, we're discipling. Discipleship is happening. Oh, oh this is what this is. See, sometimes I think we think about discipleship as this very quantifiable, metrics-based, like corporate idea of like, there's this and there's this and then this, it, this like linear process 
that we have to go through when we realize that, no, the spirit of God is going to move however he wants to move. And he's going to work through us to disciple other people, to help people to look more like Jesus, to become more like Jesus. Um, We identified, we still got a lot of work to do in this one, but bearing the torch of Christ's justice and love, that's the second half of our vision. We've identified last year uh, that mental health and loneliness are key components within our community that, that we need, need to go after. And our staff is already working on some of those things along with you uh, to develop what that plan is going to look like. So we are developing that justice and love culture. Um, this is weird for me to say, but I, I think it's worth noting that there was a lead pastor change. Uh, I am him. I am your lead pastor. Um, and it's not it's not an easy transition for us to make in terms of just me as an individual, but for a church to go through a transition is just as hard and just as difficult. But I, what I have experienced, and you might have a different story to tell, is as I reflect on that time, um, I think we became quite adaptable as a culture, adaptable to transition. And I'm, I'm praying that we continue to be formed by, um, by uh, adaptability and by being able to transition and to adjust to change without panicking, without complaining, without getting resentful or envious or any other thing, but that we would look to Jesus and look to his spirit to lead us through transition. And then lastly, there's so much I want to say about this. Um, the, the GLC is our Great Lakes Conference and the ECC is our denomination. There is a global culture that I am excited to develop and it's just begun last year. We have a Life Church network that we're a part of as well, meeting with other uh, pastors of these life churches that are around the Detroit metro area, we are wanting to gain a better sense that we are not alone. We are not in this alone. And so there, there's, these are just a, a very small snapshot of what we can celebrate. And it's not just quantifiable things, it is, uh, but there's more. We, we are developing a culture that is living into our vision to reclaim our identity in Jesus and to bear the torch of Christ's justice and love. And there's more that God has in store for us. But here's the last thing I want to say. I want to give you an action step because oftentimes we have an action step as a church. I want you to stand with me if you are able. And I want us to reflect on this idea of growing in gratitude. That our lives would be deeply formed by a rhythm of gratitude. That we would increase our culture of celebration, that we wouldn't wait for just the mountaintop moments, but that instead, in all circumstances, we might be formed. And here's the thing. Here's a crazy thing. Science, neuroscience has already caught up to this. That the more you are grateful, actively grateful, finding ways to be grateful. It actually unlocks pathways in your brain that recalls more things to be grateful for. So you sit down and you start writing out one thing. If you get that one thing down, but you stay there and you reflect, then you all of a sudden realize, oh yeah, and I guess I could thank God for the breath in my lungs today too, yeah. Oh, and and I could thank God for the the food that I got to eat yesterday. I could thank God for the, the roof that's over my head. All of a sudden, all of these things start to flood through and in your brain to realize there is so much more to be grateful for that I'm going to need pages and pages of a journal to fill these. The moment you start to grow in gratitude, it only grows. It doesn't diminish. It doesn't decrease. And then the more we do that as individuals and as a community, it becomes easy 
to go through the chaotic roller coaster of our lives. Not because things aren't hard, but we're able to support one another. It starts with a foundation in the person of Jesus, who sets the tone for gratitude. We're going to sing about him now. Welcome back. I hope you found that message encouraging. I know I was encouraged not just by Pastor Jared's reminder that celebration and gratitude are a necessity for a community, but also that sometimes it can be hard. It can be difficult to want to celebrate. But he reminded us that we need to choose gratitude that leads to celebration uh, so that we can find joy in God and that we can have a community that is continually growing and strengthened and thriving. So I want to remind you that Again, you belong. And if there's any kind of encouragement or support that you need or anything difficult that you are going through, we want to be there for you as a community um, to encourage you to celebrate when we can. So if you need any kind of encouragement, whether it's prayer, um, support, small groups, anything like that, be sure to reach out again via that connect card and indicate that uh, when you fill that out. But I hope you have a wonderful week. I hope that this week you see opportunities, you find opportunities to celebrate what God is doing, not only in the life of this church, but in your life. Uh, and always be free, be sure to share those. We would love to hear your stories of celebration this week. Have a wonderful week, and we'll talk to you real soon.